Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to Episode 6. I believe it was January of 2016. I'd been out muzzleloader hunting in Ohio with my buddies back home and I hadn't got anything yet, and uh, about an hour before daylight, my dad says, why don't we slip out to the blind together and see if something comes in? And I hadn't hunted with him like that in a good while, and so decided to do it and get out in the blind. We're laughing, we're talking about life, trying to be quiet, and uh, out of the, and out of nowhere, this doe shows up. She comes left or right in front of us, and she's at 15 yards. Well, it, it was perfect, except that my dad had that netting in his blind over the windows that you could shoot a broadhead through, and we had, of course, lowered it, but we only lowered it about halfway. Well, I pull up my muzzleloader with the scope on it, and I can see her perfectly in the scope, but my dad whispers, you got to get higher. And I hadn't realized that my muzzle uh, of my barrel, it, was, it wasn't high enough. I was still below that, that line where the, the netting was. So I raise up a little bit, flip the safety off, and this doe is looking right at us. I'm about to pull the trigger, and my dad says, you got to get a little bit higher. So I raise up a little bit higher, and this deer is about to bolt, so I put it right behind her shoulder, let her have it, and she takes off running, and I hear her crash about 50 yards over the hill. And I turn back, I'm smiling, give my dad a high five. I think it's the first deer I ever killed with him like right next to me like that. And I mean, I'm just, I'm pumped, I'm excited, and he starts laughing, I'm like, what? He goes, look what you did. And I look back and look at the front of the blind, and there is a ring of fire, a big 7-inch hole in this netting of his blind. And for the next couple of years, all my dad would do is remind me of the time that I shot a hole in his blind. And I would try and remind him, hey, I, I did get the dough. You know, I got the dough down. But I look back at that memory and a lot of memories with my dad, and I just, I have to smile. Um, just good memories, time with family. You know, it's awesome if you get a hunt with your family. Um, it, but also, I, my wife doesn't hunt. And so there are challenges that come sometimes with, with being able to hunt. And balancing time with family and friends. It's super important that we do that. And today's guest reminds me of that. He talks a little bit about hunts with his dad and some advice that he gets from his wife. And so uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest. His name is Danny Ard. Danny Attacks the Mountain is his name on SaddleHunter.com. That's where I found out about him. And uh, Danny doesn't just tell us the first story of his his tree saddle buck, which is super exciting. Uh, We're going to go to Hawaii today. Uh, It's nice and cold here in January. So Danny's going to take us to Hawaii and then on to Africa. And so we're going to get a couple extra bonus stories that are amazing. I learned a lot in this episode about uh, I never hunted in either one of those locations, and and Danny's going to talk about that. I want you to stay tuned to the end. There's more to the story about that hunt with my dad. And um, so anyway, we're going to go ahead and jump into this podcast interview, and I hope that you enjoy it. Here's Danny. All right, guys. I am here uh, with Danny Ard. Uh, Danny is from Northern Virginia. Uh, he was raised in Alaska, and he is a U.S. Army combat veteran. So first, first and foremost, just want to say thank you so much for your service, Danny. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he joined the fire department after you left the military, and um, he got into hunting about nine years ago. I won't spoil any of that. I'll let him tell you all about it. And he's been able to bow hunt Africa, Hawaii, Northern Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland. So definitely has uh, some bow hunting underneath his belt. So, Danny, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So, Danny, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've hunted a lot of places, but give us a little bit uh, of a background. You know, what was it like growing up there in Alaska? That's that's interesting. It was definitely a good time. Of course, you know, I was a kid then, and 
you know, I spent most of my time hanging out with my friends and fishing and stuff like that. And I did a little bit of hunting here and there with my dad, but I just never really got too serious about it. I shot mostly grouse and squirrels for the most part with a 22 that my dad got me when I was a kid. But I didn't really get into big game hunting until probably about nine years ago. Okay. So, yeah. So, so, so what, what got you into that? What was the, what was the uh, draw to big game hunting and, and going after whitetails and other animals? I think after I had lived in Baltimore City for a few years and had about enough of it, so <laughs> I ran away from the city and I was renting a uh, I was renting a room out of a out of a farmhouse out in the middle of the country there and there was all kinds of deer out there and I had a roommate that was he was big into the hunting scene and I said hey you know I'm interested in trying this deer hunting thing out see what it's like I said but I don't you know I don't have anything against anybody that hunts with a gun or anything like that but I just don't want to lean across the hood of my truck with a big scope and all that and just blast the first deer. I said, I want to make it kind of challenging. And uh, I bought a muzzle loader and I tried it out and I couldn't get it right. I couldn't store the gunpowder properly and I couldn't measure the gunpowder and stuff. So I just kind of put that away. And my roommate, he said, well, I got an old bow here if you want to get it set up for you and try it out. And I said, hey, I'm all for it. So he, uh, he helped me get it all set up and sighted in and everything, and once I could actually hit the target at 20 yards, then uh, we went out there on the other side of the field where the strip of woods were and hung a stand there, and, you know, he kind of told me what to do, and, you know, sure enough, a, a doe came walking by, and I think that's probably the biggest surge of adrenaline I've ever had. <laughs> this And <laughs> this, is think, your, this is your first hunt? Yeah, it was my first hunt nine years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was with an old, you know, hand-me-down Hoyt, and, you know, I, it worked, and I hit the deer right where I was supposed to, right behind the shoulder as she was walking away from me. She's probably about 15, 20 yards, and, you know, once my adrenaline calmed down a little bit, then I finally decided it's safe for me to climb out of the tree stand so I don't fall. <laughs> and then I, you know, tracked the blood, and there she was laying there, and I was, I was addicted to bow hunting ever since. I, I haven't put it down. Wow, that is incredible. You know, I've had some guests already on the show. I haven't had a lot of guests, but I've had some guests that it, it's taken them some time. You know, some some uh, some of our guests, it's taken them a couple of years actually to get that first deer. So your first hunt, you go out and just lay down a doe just like that. So was that, I wouldn't say that wasn't really my first hunt though. That was I say my 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 third sit. That was my first. Oh, okay. Sit anyway, okay. I think that was my 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 third sit. My first sit, I had does come running by me. At, you know, right at. Uh, right at last light and i don't even think i knew what to do <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's awesome man well that sounds yeah. like a good first year so then you get into hunting all these other locations tell me about that like you uh, hawaii i've never even thought about hunting hawaii so how does yeah. how do you go from hunting does to going to other locations like that well uh, kind of a funny story because my wife and i were planning a trip to go to hawaii and my parents have been to Hawaii a number of times. Keep in mind, my dad, he's a huge, he's a huge guru when it comes to hunting. He'll, no, doesn't matter where you take him, he, he wants to hunt. So, um, my wife and I are planning this, this trip to Hawaii, and we didn't know which island to go to. So, I said, well, let's call up my parents. They go to Hawaii, I don't know, at least every other year, you know, or pretty often anyway. So I called my parents and I got them on speakerphone, you know, because I'm talking to my my parents and my wife is right there. And and uh, I said, Dad, we're interested in going to Hawaii next 
next next year. Um, do you guys can you recommend an island or anything to go to? My dad said, "Yeah, actually, I can recommend you go to the island of Kauai, and um, I'm taking you on a pig hunt when you get there." <laughs> <laughs> hey. so this tropical romantic getaway. Uh, you know, we had to throw a hunt in there as well. So, man, I don't know if it gets any better than that. Like every guy right now that's listening to this is like, oh yeah, like go to Hawaii, have the time with your wife, but also go hunting right. at the same time. Like that's that's yeah. fantastic. And as soon as my dad said that, I looked at my wife and I pulled the phone away from my face. I said, I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say no, you know. So, oh, that's awesome. So, any success? Were you able to get a pig down? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was. You know, it was a lot of fun. We went to this outfitter. I can't remember the name of it right now, but um, it wasn't too expensive, right around $500, I think. And you show up there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you just hunt for a few hours. And we basically just kind of cruised around on a side-by-side ATV looking for, you know, where most of the pigs were and whatnot. And we'd get out and play the wind and go in there and spot and stock. And I made a nice hit on a nice large boar i think about 46 yards with uh with my bow and you know there he was (laughs) that's good did you put like an apple in his mouth and do the spit you know that's what you always see in hawaii is the (laughs) yeah that's kind of what i had in mind before i went but he said it's you know it's a lot of work to go through all that whatnot what they did is they just had some already frozen meat and they said the boars don't taste very good anyway so he just sent us home with a cooler full of sow meat pretty much so oh you can't beat that Oh, good, man. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, now you've hunted pigs there. You had whitetail. Any other species that you've hunted? Yeah, actually, um, I went to Africa last year with my dad. Um, so with a bow there, I took uh, one blue wildebeest, and I also took one gemsbuck. Oh, gemsbuck. I'm not familiar yeah. with that one. Yeah, it basically looks like a, almost like an elk with different colors, and they have the long, straight horns. Okay. Okay. So those hunts there, um, was that with an outfitter or is this you guys kind of figuring it out on your own or how, how does that work in Africa? That was, that was also with, with, a, with an outfitter there. Um, okay. you know, it definitely wasn't cheap, but it wasn't expensive as I thought. I think it cost me, I want to say $3,500 okay. and I could take seven species there. Oh, wow. And the issue was I flew with, um, British Airways <laughs> And they lost my archery equipment on the way there. Oh. Yeah, it was it was very very disturbing. Um, so my the guide there, he had me set up, you know, with a, a bow that he borrowed, and we got it set up to my draw length and everything. And um, we went out and you know did some hunting and stuff. And I missed a couple warthogs here and there. And you know it it was it was definitely challenging. Um, but you know it was all spot and stock. Um, and I finally, I, it was actually a funny story where <laughs> I've been missing animals left and right for like three or four days. And when you come back to the camp, everybody's sitting around the campfire and they're talking about this, you know, animal they just shot and what a good time they had. And here I am still empty handed, you know, no, uh, no blood on the arrows or anything yet. They're hunting with guns too, you know, so they had a little bit of an advantage, but, right. um, and plus I'm using borrowed archery equipment. So I wasn't a hundred percent used to it. And, uh, so after, you know, I think actually I was texting my wife, like I normally do when I'm upset, of course, I think most of us do. Yeah. And she, you know, texts me back and she said, we can replace your bow. 
But what you can't replace is this time that you're spending with your dad. This is this is once in a lifetime opportunity. She said, "I know you're a diehard bow hunter, and you know you you won't pick up a rifle." And, and she said, "But you need to swallow your pride and just enjoy this time with your dad because you're not going to get it back." I said, "Okay, all right." I said, "I'm going to hunt tomorrow with that with that borrowed archery equipment, and if I don't get anything, I'm putting it down and I'm picking up a rifle and." I'm just going to enjoy my last, you know, week and a half or whatever with my dad and hunting and whatnot. And uh, the next day we went out and, you know, of course, my my hope was a little low and whatnot. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it with this bow and see what happens. And and my my guide, his name is Aaron, is a really great guy down to earth. I think I probably met a best friend when I was over there. But um, we get out of the truck and. I didn't even see it. And he says, you see that blue wildebeest way over there on that, on that, you know, it was like three, you know, hill ridges away or whatever. It was out there way, probably a good, at least half mile, if not more. Um, I said, yeah, I do. He says, do you think that'll look good in your wall? I said, yeah, I think it'll look good on my wall. I said, come on, let's go get it. And uh, we went, we started stalking in to try and, you know, get close enough to this blue wildebeest. And on our way there, we actually came across uh, two gems bucks that were actually feeding towards us and and here I am low crawling on the gravel gravel and sand and brush and everything and he arranged one of them for me and I came to full draw and let the arrow fly and this gems butt goes running off and the blood out there was it wasn't really a lot of blood you know so you know we felt kind of nervous about it and we're tracking it and tracking it well, we tracked this gems buck all the way up to where that blue wildebeest was on top of that that hill. And when we got up there, we noticed he was telling me that the blue wildebeest was kind of in its mating season or the rut, if you will. And they kind of do the same thing because there was big trees with actual rubs all over them, just like white-tailed bucks do over here. Oh, wow. Yeah, it kind of caught me by surprise. And it started grunting and, you know, it, it saw us and it didn't like us being there. And it would start, you know, digging its hoof into the ground and kind of grunting at us and whatnot. And, and he told me, he's like, yeah, he's mad that we're here because he wants to hold this hilltop right here for him to breed on. And then it walked broadside and Aaron said, Danny, 50 yards. I was like, OK. And I drew back, let the arrow fly. And uh, as soon as that arrow fly, I think he heard the heard my arrow release and he spun towards me, almost like jumping the string, but he spun towards me in kind of like a fighting aggressive manner, I guess. And that arrow, man, it impacted right in his neck, stuck him right in the jugular and impacted in his spine, dropped him like a bag of rocks. So oh, I'm man. standing there with this barbed bow in my hand and my my eyes probably look like a deer in headlights. And Aaron <laughs> said, Danny, congratulations on your first first blue wildebeest. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, man. I, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. So we go up there and we're celebrating with this blue wildebeest. And while we're doing that, the gems buck jumps up. <laughs> and so, and it runs a little ways and stops. And, you know, we snuck in a little bit and I came to full draw on him and put a second arrow in him and put him down right then and there. So on borrowed yeah. equipment, there you go. You yeah. get two down. Man, that's really awesome. I, I, I think I got to go back. I think your your wife's uh, advice, it's funny how our wives can kind of see things a little bit where we can have tunnel vision. And uh, that's solid advice, I think. You know, I think sometimes yeah. we get get so wrapped up in the hunt and so wrapped up in, and then we and to just take a step back and realize you got time with your dad. You know, those are, that's, 
that's pretty solid, and that's good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I can't thank her enough for for that solid advice that she's giving. She gives me solid advice all the time too. So yeah, <laughs> well, and I, I think that's important as we get into hunting season and bow season and all that. We can be out a lot, and so our wives uh, have to be patient with us, and that's that's a, an important yes. relationship that we don't want to screw up. So I, I encourage I all the guys out there to make sure. Uh, you know, balance. I think that's that's the wise right. choice. So, yeah. well, Danny, I want to get into. Um, I didn't expect that. That was really cool to hear that. I have no idea about Africa or Hawaii hunting, so I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a little bit wiser now. Um, okay. I wanted to hear about your first uh, saddle buck. I, uh, uh, your Danny attacks the mountain on Saddle Hunter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I love that name, by the way. And so. Uh, by the way, I need to say this to our listeners. I'm not endorsed by any saddle companies. I just started uh, hunting out of a saddle here in October, and I fell in love with it. I think it's awesome. I'm a part of this forum, and that's how I've met some of these guys. So this is probably our, our third or fourth podcast with a guy with a saddle. But, um, man, I, it's a cool way to hunt, so it's something to check out. But, Danny, walk us through that a little bit. How did you get into hunting with a saddle, and, and what led up to this this uh, hunt that you had this year? Um, I think I just kind of... I heard about it somewhere. I think I must have seen it on a YouTube video or something. I said, of course, you know, that hence the name Danny Taxi Mountain. I hunt a lot of mountain terrain right on the West Virginia and Virginia state border right there. Yeah. And some of the national forests. And it's carrying a tree stand on your back is, you know, it's kind of unforgiving. So especially when you're going through thick brush. and Plus, I want to be trying to be as light as possible and whatnot, you know. So, um the tree saddle thing had me sold when they told me how much it weighed for, for one. Um, so I watched a few YouTube videos on it and it looked pretty good. And then I, you know, got on that saddlehunter.com and started learning a lot about from the other guys on there, like, uh, flinging arrows and, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. outdoors and, you know, definitely a good group of guys out there with some really good, solid advice. And, uh, you know, before I even tried one, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to spend the money. It's either that or another tree stand. And, and when I also, when I thought about it, you know, one tree stand, if it, you know, not only does it weigh too much, but if you, if you're setting up multiple tree stands somewhere, okay, well, each tree stand you get in might not have the deer on them. Well, I just wasted, you know, a tree stand in this tree so I can just take it down with me or, you know, you know, do whatever you need to do to try to get closer to the deer. So it just made more sense to me you know, um, as far as how much money I was going to spend, it just, it, it, it paid for itself is the way that it looked to me. So, um, yeah, I think that's the appeal is that it allows you to be pretty mobile. Uh, I know there's guys out there yeah. that prefer like, you know, like a lone wolf or a real uh, portable lightweight, uh, hang on. And, and I think that's fine. Um, yeah. you know, if guys, I think it's, you got to kind of figure out what works best for you. Um, right. and I, I found the same thing. I think being in the saddle, um, so what did you use for, so you wear the saddle, if, if you're not familiar with this and you're listening, kind of wear the saddle, usually you wear into the stand. You got to have some sort of method of getting up the tree, which is usually sticks or spurs. Uh, Danny, what did you go with there? I started out with, with climbing sticks. Um, mm-hmm. After, you know, what I found out on saddlehunter.com, of course, was uh, hawk healings were a good method, good starting method anyway. You know, they don't weigh very much. Um you know, they're pretty inexpensive. I think I paid like $100 for three of them. And right. I ended up, uh, I think DIY Sportsman, I watched his videos on how to make climbing aiders for him. And with, I ended up actually buying a four stick off of somebody off of that forum too. So here I'm with four uh, Hawk Heliums with, 
you know, two step eighters on them, and I could get up there like right at least thirty feet. Oh, so wow. I was getting up, I was getting up there pretty good. I thought. Um, so that kind of had me sold with with my climbing method. Now I also got interested in spur climbing spurs too, and I purchased a pair. And uh, I'm not against them, but I like the climbing sticks a little better, just because I, I'm more comfortable standing on them. Um, if I practice more with those with those climbing spurs, I think I'd probably get better with them and more used to them. But there were times where I had some trees that either the bark was too solid and I just, I wasn't piercing enough and I would slip and that'll definitely wake you up while you're trying to climb up or down the tree. Uh, I've experienced that. Yes. I, I just started hunting with spurs, um, about halfway through this season. I got those, got the saddle October 26. And I think it was, uh, sometime around after Thanksgiving, I switched over to spurs and it's, it's a okay. learning curve for sure. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. yeah. So most, some of my remote spots where it takes me, you know, a couple hours to hike to, if not more, and it's all up through the mountains. I think those climbing spurs are definitely going to pay for themselves, but you know, I, I need to practice with them more before I, before I get too much into that. So, yeah. So, so you get your saddle, you get your setup and mm-hmm. take us to the point where, um, you're pulling back your bow on this buck. What, uh, what led up to that? How did you choose your area? And, and tell us, tell us the story. Um, well, I had been having kind of a terrible season. Um, you know, I was trying to learn how to film my own hunts and I don't think I really knew what I was doing. So the deer would see me move the camera and, I was too worried about the camera, not worried about actually getting the draw back on the deer and whatnot. And then there were many times where I just wasn't seeing anything. Um, and I actually, uh, actually, I also hunt um, an urban urban area in northern Virginia as well. Um, where I was hunting is still hill country. It's not mountain country like out there in West Virginia or anything, but... Um, it's also, I guess you call it public land. You have to get drawn for it. Um, so, you know, I had, you know, come across a couple deer here and there out there, but I wasn't seeing a whole lot. Um, and I just kind of got fed up with not seeing anything. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I was out there on a morning hunt, and I think I had a spike walk by, and that was it. And you know, I just wasn't interested in the spike. Um, I said, I'm going to climb down here at, at 10 a.m., putting all this stuff on my back, you know, my climbing sticks, I got my saddle and everything. And I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk this whole hill until, until I see really good sign. And that's exactly what I did. And I found this area on a hilltop where it looked like to me, like, like buck bedding. Um, it was open and then behind it, there was some thick brush and, and I ended up stepping in deer manure, like a big chunk of it. And, (laughs) That just told me right there, this is probably a good spot. And there were scrapes all over the place and nice thick rubs. And I, I looked around a little more, and I could kind of tell where they were coming in. Um, so I said, okay, if I come back here and hunt, I'm not going not gonna to walk over that trail. Of course, just the way that the brush was and everything, that was the only way in and out of there, um, unless I wanted to cross a creek. So what I ended up doing is I actually took my climbing sticks and my platform and I found the best tree right there um, based off of the sign and everything. And I, I hung all that stuff up and then I, I went home and um, on my way out of there, actually, I had to had to jump over a creek and it was a little bit too wide. I didn't quite make it and had wet feet in my hiking boots. <laughs> so um, I told myself, all right, when you come back out here, you're going to you're going to bring your rubber. Boots. I normally wear like a leather 
you know, leather hiking boot for, for out there. Right. Um, so I had, you know, I came back when the conditions were right, when the wind was going to be in my favor and everything. And I, man, I was so excited about that spot. I think I, I think I actually left the truck and it was maybe about a 30 minute walk to this spot. I left the truck at probably about, I want to say 4 a.m. <laughs> oh, wow. And it didn't get light until probably 6 or 6.30. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get in there nice and early just because I've heard that if it's a if it's a buck bed, you know, they, they'll get in there pretty early sometimes. Um, and this is also during a cold front, too. So, you know, I just wasn't going to take any chances. If I'm having a, you know, a poor season, I'm, you know, I don't take as many chances, I guess. Um, so, you know, I put on my rubber boots when I got to the same creek that got me wet and you know, went across the creek, changed back into my leather boots and stashed my, my rubber boots underneath a pile of leaves and then snuck in the other way behind the bed that the deer weren't going to be coming in. And the wind was in my face and everything. And I climbed up there and I, I was probably set up by, I don't know, maybe a quarter to a five or something at the latest. And it was it was cold. It was about, I want to say it was about 15 degrees out. Um, but, you know, it was well worth it to me. At, at this point, I'm you know, I'm going all out. Nothing's going to stop me from trying to get a deer on the ground. And I sat there and it was really cold. Um, I was, you know, trying to ask myself, how long do I want to sit there? And eight o'clock rolled around, no sign of any deer. I want to say 10 o'clock rolled around, still no sign of any deer. And I'm starting to get frustrated, starting to get kind of in the, you know, having my doubts about my, you know, my hunting, uh, you know, my, my hunting techniques and everything and how good of a hunter am I really? And, you know, what happened to me this season compared to the other seasons, seasons I've had? And, and I was like, all right, well, let's just sit it out till noon. You know, if we don't see anything by noon, you know, it, I am going to go home and just hang the gear up and maybe I'll take up basket weaving or something. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's man. It, it is funny how like a couple, a few hours of being in the stand and not seeing anything, how that just messes with your mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was messing with my mind a lot and I was getting frustrated and actually I was about to text my wife just because I knew she'd probably tell me something that would make me feel better, you know, and <laughs> give me some more good solid advice or whatever. But, uh, I was afraid she was just going to tell me to come home and eat dinner with her and, you know, I was like, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to tough it out until at least noon. So noon was my my time where I was going to climb down. Um, if anything, I was just going to scout my way out of there and see if I could find another place to set up for next time. And uh, I think 11.45 rolls around. And here I am, you know, even more f- frustrated with myself and my hunting skills. And I said, I'm, I'm going to pack it up. You know, I, I'm this is it. I'm done. And I reach over because my backpack's hanging there off of uh, off of the tree. I reach over, grab my backpack to throw, you know, my calls in there, my range finder. And out of my peripheral vision, up that same trail where I thought they were going to be coming, comes a buck. So I pull my range finder back out. I said, well, before I climb down, I guess I'll shoot this deer first. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes in and... You know, he wasn't a giant or anything like that. He was a you know, basically a scrub seven point or whatever. He's, you know, he's not going to make any books or anything, but I didn't care. He, yeah. I was more excited about just, you know, getting some meat for the freezer. And when I saw the size of his neck and shoulders, that right there was, was enough for me. Horns didn't matter at that point. Right. Um, and he came in at my, uh, he was actually right behind me. 
And he was maybe, I want to say he's probably about 15 to 20 yards out. He wasn't out very far. I probably didn't even need my rangefinder to tell you the truth. Um, and as soon as he comes walking out, I was already spun around. And he comes walking out from, from behind the, you know, there's a bunch of branches and trees and whatnot. I didn't cut any shooting leaves because I didn't think I was going to need them. <laughs> and uh, he, he's getting ready to step out. And I told myself when he steps into that, into that opening right there, you, you better be at full draw. And as he's walking, time was flashing right before my eyes. And I actually, you know, mentally kind of got after myself and said, Danny, you better draw back. Or you're going to screw this one up. And I came to full draw and he was right there in that shooting lane. And I stopped him and he stopped and just kind of looked like what in the world was that? So I made, you know, I, like most guys do, you know, we make that deer that sounds like a sounds like a deer or whatever yeah put that pin right where it needs to be and let the arrow fly clear pass through he goes running and he actually kind of ran out to my left a little bit and somewhat uphill and he didn't run more than 15 yards and he he stops and he did kind of the i call the drunken stumble and then <laughs> and I, as he was running i could see blood pouring out of both sides of him so i, I knew it was a great hit and yeah. I could also see blood coming out of his mouth because he actually spun in a 180 face of me. I could see blood coming out of his mouth and out of both sides of his chest cavity there. He hit the ground, and I think his legs kicked maybe once or twice, and he was done. That was it. Oh, right man. There. And that's when all the adrenaline kicked in. Mm-hmm. Like when I was making the shot, I think I was just so focused on making the shot and you know making things happen the way they're supposed to happen that I – just didn't get excited. I didn't have any urge of adrenaline or whatever. But once he crashed, I knew he was on the ground. And I'm hanging 30 or 35 feet up <laughs> in the tree with this bow in my hand. That's when, you know, I could feel my heart racing and everything. And then and then after that, I uh, said, okay, well, it's time to pack it up. I got, I got some work to do. Yeah. And <laughs> so I get everything, put my backpack, backpacks on. I already lowered my bow to the ground and everything. And uh, as I lowered my bow to the ground off to one side, it just happened to be looking that direction. And I see a doe running through the woods. And right behind her was, I want to say, three or four bucks. And one of them was just a giant 10 point. <laughs> and I said, you know, yeah, I said, you know what? I'll, I'll just enjoy looking at him for right now. That's, that's enough for me. He was out there a good 40, 50 yards anyway. So it wouldn't have been a very good shot. He was a nice deer, but, you know. After everything that happened, because, you know, after having a, you know, the season that I did not want leading up to finally getting a deer on the ground, I, I couldn't make any complaints, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Deer on the ground is always a good feeling. Just, to, I mean, first off, you, the, not having to track them, know exactly where they're at. That is a uh, very comforting feeling. <laughs> I agree. That, yeah. Oh, that's oh, yeah. awesome. So this deer, yeah. now, th- this buck, he came in from behind you? Kind of. As I'm facing the tree, the trail was kind of behind, kind of behind me, um, but there was a lot of sign out in front of me. Okay. So, and the wind was blowing right into my face, and the way that he was going to come in, the wind was going to be in my favor, which is kind of off to my right a little bit. That's where his trail was coming in. Um, so when he actually came right behind me at my six o'clock, he was actually directly downwind of me. But I paid a lot of attention to my thermals, and I was throwing that milkweed up in the air pretty much all morning or all day at that point. And that milkweed was just almost going straight up in the air. So, 
I think if my wind was blowing in his direction, my scent probably would have traveled right over him. So it worked out pretty good. Oh, good. So yeah. uh, we talked a little bit about saddle hunting and all that. What Did you see any difference in taking a shot out of the saddle as compared to maybe being in like a uh, ladder stand, hang on stand or, or something like that? What was the, the difference yeah. there? I think so. Um, I'm a little bit more comfortable in the saddle, I think, because you just kind of kind of hang there. And it's almost like if I, people that don't know much about the saddle, the way that I explain it to them is it's a uh, it's basically it's a hammock for your butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay and i like that yeah and it's i think it's it's very comfortable and and i feel really steady in it you know like when you just kind of lean back from the tree and yeah. the tree's holding your weight and everything I, I i feel pretty steady in it but the biggest game changer for me versus shooting out of the, the tree stand is i can actually walk all the way around the tree to, to make a shot mm-hmm. so when that deer say he didn't come down there where i expected him to if he was on the other side that's all I'd have to do is just walk right around that tree and draw back and, and let them have it. So, yeah. yeah, there's the appeal to it. I think that that was definitely the biggest appeal to me is also trying to keep the tree between me and the deer. So I hate, yeah. I, I love being in my, my, uh, you know, uh, hang on stand or hang on stand or even a, a climber. But the thing I yeah. always hated was being out in front. And if that deer comes in and is right, you don't see it come in. And you can't hardly move, you know, and there are so many times I'd be trying to move, trying to stand up and I get busted. So I love that feeling of kind of keeping the tree between me and the deer and yes. uh, just gives you a lot more, a lot more flexibility, a little bit more freedom to move and get, get yourself yeah, ready. I, I agree. Plus, you know, where I hunt out there in that mountainous terrain, it doesn't matter how high up that tree you get. Sometimes those deer, they're still just as high as you are when they're coming down the mountain. So, right. It, it, it's a big game changer to be able to hide from the deer if you get around that other side of the tree, I think. Yeah. Well, one, one question. Were you able to get it on film? No, I wasn't. Uh, at that okay. point, yeah, at that point, I was. I had kind of just put the video camera away. And, you know, after I had uh, screwed up too many hunts with that video camera, I'm probably going to practice more with it for next season. But by the time I got into November and made a few mishaps with a, you know, trying to get footage. I just kind of, kind of hung it up. So. Yeah. You will probably see some of my footage like that later on. Uh, once I get it edited this year, I, I had a, uh, my, it finally cost me, this is my third year filming and I had a buck come in perfect. And I forgot to do that whole thing called draw back. Um, <laughs> cause I was too focused <laughs> on the camera. And if your hands on yep. the camera, it can't be on your bow. And, uh, so right. yeah, I, I understand hanging up the camera. There's been a few times I wanted to throw it out of the tree. Um, so yeah. I get that. Yeah, I, I well, came close to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Danny, real quick, uh, wrap it up. Is there any, um, you know, people listen to this, you, you've been hunting for a while and this is your first saddle hunt, um, or first saddle buck. What, uh, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to get into hunting? Um, you know, what, what advice would you give to somebody that's new kind of starting out, uh, any tips, tricks, things that you've maybe uh, learned along the way? Um, yeah, there's, there's a, a, at least a couple things, if not a few things I could probably, um, tell some people. First thing is you're not always going to see deer. I've had sometimes 30 sits in a row where I thought there was definitely going to be deer there and I was lucky if I saw a raven fly over my head. Hmm. Um, but persistence is, is eventually going to going to pay off. Um, the second thing is don't fall for all those gimmicks out there. A lot of guys, you know, they'll watch the, the hunting channel and, you know, because these guys that are shooting these big giant 
deer or whatever over a bean field, they seem to spray down with a special spray or use a special call. And I don't think there's really gimmicks out there don't really take over. They, they can't outweigh experience and persistence, mm. yeah. you know. So, you know, and if you don't see a deer, you just you got to keep at it. You know, give it a couple sits. If you don't see them, keep walking until you see that fresh sign. Play the wind and get set up, and eventually it'll it'll pay off. Absolutely. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on and sharing that. Uh, all those stories, uh, excellent. Hey, I, I really love it's, that, man. Yes, yeah. it's a good time. All right. Well, Danny, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll hopefully catch up with you later down the road. All right. All right. Sounds good. And there you go. Some great stories from Danny Ard, and I really appreciate him coming on and sharing all those. Loved hearing about uh, the time he got to spend with his dad and uh, his wife's advice. Some some good stuff there. Um, I want to hear from you. Uh, if you have a story that you'd like to share, go ahead and send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I try and respond very quickly. And um, we have some new uh, guests coming up that I'm excited about. Um, you know, I want to go back to the beginning of this podcast where I talked a little bit about my dad and uh, just a fun memory that I had with him. You know, that, that memory is especially fond to me because uh, of April of that year, uh, my dad ended up getting non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And, uh, you know, he from the moment he got it, he had such a great attitude. He always said that he was in a win-win situation. He couldn't lose. A lot of times when somebody, you know, passes away from cancer, we say they lost the battle. Uh, my dad didn't see it that way. He knew that if he lived, he would be able to spend time with my mom and with me and uh, my brother and grandkids and all that, and that was a win. But if he died, he knew that he was a Christian. He knew that he was going to go be with Jesus in heaven. And uh, heaven wasn't just uh, some place with clouds and harps and stuff. It's like a really, really cool place. Just picture your most beautiful morning uh, watching the sunrise from the stand and multiply that by about a million, and that's what heaven is like. And so that's that's what ended up happening. Uh, March 2018, my dad ended up getting pneumonia from the cancer, and uh, he passed away. Um, I know where he's at, and so I can smile whenever I look at those memories and know that that was a great memory, and it's not the end of the story. I'll get to see him again one day. But it does make me think about this. How much time do you spend with your family? How much time do you spend with your friends? Um, during deer season, we can get deer any type of season, elk season, turkey season, fishing season. Uh, we can get so wrapped up in our hobby um, that it, it kind of takes over everything. And we can go out and we can justify it by saying we're putting meat on the table or, or whatever you want to say. Um, but the main thing in life, I believe, is God first and then your family. And keeping those things in the right order, I think, is absolutely essential to us having a meaningful life. And so... I just encourage it. Make sure that you, you're keeping those priorities straight. Don't let all of the posts on Facebook and Instagram get the better of you. I, I see those posts. I see guys killing giant deer and killing elk and killing all these things, and I'm, I'm jealous. I want to do it. And so it'll push me to spend more and more time in the woods, which in turn usually takes me away from my wife more and more. And those are things that we have to learn to balance. At the end of our life, I don't think you're going to look back and say, oh, man, I just wish I would have killed one more deer. I wish I would have just killed one more elk. I think at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, you know what, I, I'm glad I spent the time with my family that I did. And oh yeah, I got a, I got a couple of deer on the wall and uh, meat in the freezer and, and life's good. <laughs> so that would be my challenge for you. That would be my encouragement to you. It's probably easier during the month of January than it is uh, during November. But um, just want to pass that along and say uh, uh, keep the main thing the main thing. 
Thanks for checking out this podcast. Going to go ahead and wrap it up and um, excited about some upcoming guests. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you hit subscribe. And if you want to hit share, appreciate that. And remember, as always, shed the light.